If you guys have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Uh, And this will be a good chapter, especially to have your Bible with you. So if you guys need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. We want to make sure you have one to follow along this morning. Luke chapter 22. We love to hear those words, mission accomplished. Whether it's a successful mission that you read about or hear about in a history class at school where the good guys won against the bad guys, we love to hear mission accomplished. Or it's something maybe that's said by a superhero in the end of a battle between good and evil And he finally comes out on top. Everything that he's set out to do is totally done and finished. And he says, mission accomplished. In our life, in your life, it's probably more like finishing a list of chores that uh, your mom told you to do. Like pull those weeds, uh, put those shoes away, find your pet hamster that got out of its cage three days ago, clean your room. And what happens once you do? You could say, mission accomplished. Or maybe it's a long homework assignment, a a big once-in-a-school-year project that's so much work, and it requires uh, tears and sweat, and finally it gets done that one day, and you could say, mission accomplished. We love to hear of a mission, whatever that good mission is, being accomplished. And the message that stands out in the Bible, in God's word to us, is that a mission has been accomplished. God wants us to know that a mission that God planned ahead of time to do in this world was accomplished. But this mission, it's not just a fairy tale. It's not just a nice story where what God set out to do was finished. It's not just something that we would uh, just enjoy reading about or, or just a nice thing to check off a to-do list. The Bible tells us that God accomplished a mission, and it is the most important and the most real mission that's ever existed in this world. God has told us in the very beginning of the Bible that uh, man sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, And all of us have sinned since then. And because of our sin, because of what we've done, we deserve God's judgment. But God, from the very beginning of the Bible, has had a mission. He had a mission to save sinners. And he would accomplish something in order to save sinners. God would send his son Jesus into the world And Jesus would go and he would die on a cross as a substitute. And he would take the place that sinners deserved so that we could be rescued and so that we could be given a right relationship with God. And God sent Jesus into the world in order to make that happen. In order that you and me could have a right relationship with God. And the book of Luke, this story here, is all about what Jesus did when he came to this world, what he accomplished when he lived here. And now as we get to the last few chapters of this book, we find out 
that the mission was accomplished. Jesus came in this world to save sinners, and now Luke's telling us how Jesus would save sinners. He would do it by going to the cross. That was God's plan. That was God's mission in sending his son Jesus. Jesus went to the cross so that sinners could be brought back to God. They could be rescued from judgment. They could be saved. It is the greatest mission that's ever existed in this world, and it's real, and it's true. It happened in history 2,000 years ago. And here, as we kind of set out in these last few chapters, we're reading that the mission was accomplished by Jesus. And this morning, our section of Luke is showing what Jesus did as he went to the cross. Jesus was only hours from dying on a cross in the place of sinners. And from these chapters, from these verses here, we're, we're seeing Jesus talking about what he did in going to the cross, what it meant that he went to the cross, why he did that. It was to accomplish God's mission. And a big idea that we can see from these verses this morning is, is actually more of what we saw last week if you were here. It's the same, uh, same big idea because it's all this one big section but it's a, it's a great thing for us to think about again. And there's more for us to learn from this section, but you could say a big idea from these verses is that in order to save the lost, again, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was going to accomplish the mission that God sent him to do. He was going to the cross in order that sinners could be saved. And here, as Jesus was only hours from dying on the cross, there's some things we can learn from these scenes as Jesus was going to the cross. There's some, some lessons to be learned as Jesus was about to die on the cross. And so let's look at Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31. God's word says this. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or a knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said, it is enough. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down 
and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around saw him and saw that they would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour still, another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and lived among us and that you went to the cross. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from these moments as you were about to go to the cross this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in these verses are uh, three scenes, I think, that we can look at. Three scenes that we see as Jesus went to the cross. And there's lessons for us in these verses to learn. There's a lot of verses here, so we won't get into all the details of everything that's happening. But there's three scenes that we can learn from here. And the first scene, number one, is a scene of spiritual battle. In verses 31 through 38 is a scene of spiritual battle. Here, Jesus and his disciples were still in the upper room at dinner, and he was teaching them the final things that they needed to know before he would leave the world, before he would go to the cross. And Jesus warns his disciples here about the reality that there is a spiritual battle going on. 
Look at what Jesus says in verse 31 to Peter, who's also named Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Here it's almost like the Bible kind of peels back the curtain so that we can see some of the behind the scenes things that are going on. The scheming of of Satan and him even uh, asking God for permission to sift and shake up and toss around Jesus' disciples. And we also see that Jesus has prayed that his disciples' faith would not fail. Jesus then warns in verse 34 that Peter was, was going to stumble. And the next day he was going to deny that he even knew Jesus Not once, not twice, but three times. But Jesus also says here that Peter was not going to be lost because Jesus had prayed for him. Jesus wanted Peter and the disciples to know here about the fact that there is a spiritual battle for his followers. The disciples also needed to know here in these verses that Uh, Going forward, people were going to treat them badly in this world. He says there, uh, starting in verse uh, 35, about how there was a time when they, as disciples, didn't need to carry money or a knapsack or uh, care about what they were going to do to protect themselves in the world. People would accept them as being with Jesus. But now that Jesus was going to the cross things would be different. They would now be rejected in this world if they were going to follow him. Jesus was rejected, and now his followers would also be rejected. And so the disciples needed to be ready to face persecution, even in this world. Now, there's a lot of details here that we could get into about the sword and what's, what's going on with that. Why do they have two swords? But I think the most important thing to see here is that Jesus wanted his disciples to be ready for a spiritual battle as they live in this world. He wanted them to be prepared. And the same thing should be said to us too if we are followers of Jesus. We need to know that we as Christians, like all real disciples of Jesus, are in a spiritual battle as we live our lives. If you're living for Jesus, you will have spiritual enemies in this world. You have the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And we live in a world that does not want to hear about Jesus, that doesn't want you to live for Jesus, a world that you're going against the stream in. And the encouragement for Christians here is to know that if Christ has saved you, he will keep you in this battle. He will protect you and he will pray for you throughout your life in this world. And we see Jesus doing that very thing for his disciples here in that battle. And it's what the rest of the Bible tells us God does for believers. If, if you look at Romans 8, you see that Jesus intercedes for believers. He prays for Christians. 
Romans 8 also says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we have great protection. We have great resources for this spiritual battle. But we would be foolish to think that there wasn't a spiritual battle. And as we live our Christian life, it's, it's not like it's a one-time thing where you come to Jesus and then you just kind of go on your life just like you've always lived it. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you need him every day going forward as long as you live your life. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Peter and the disciples here needed to know that they needed Jesus desperately. They would continue to need Jesus desperately. And they would need to rely on him in every way in the spiritual battle. Back in verse 37, there's an amazing verse here. Jesus makes this statement. He says, I tell you that that this which is written must be fulfilled and me. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. That's kind of a tricky verse, but it's an awesome verse. And it's a verse like if you're a highlighter kind of person in your Bible, it's one worth highlighting. Because it tells us that Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. A sinless Savior, the Bible had said long ago, would come and be a substitute and would die in the place of sinners. He would be treated like a sinner, given a sinner's death. And Jesus is saying here that he was going to accomplish that mission that God had set out to do. He was going to do what God had promised long ago in coming and dying in the place of sinners. And in the middle of the spiritual battle, these believers needed to know that too. The truth is, if you've believed in Jesus, if you've turned and believed in Christ, you will be saved. And there is nothing that can separate you from Jesus Christ if he has saved you. You will be kept from the enemy. You will win the spiritual battle. You will overcome darkness. You will be rescued from the domain of darkness. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. A question here might be to ask, are you in Christ? Is your faith in Jesus? If you're not, you are living in a dark place. You are living under the rule of the devil, and you will face judgment forever from God. But here there is a way to have spiritual victory in a spiritual battle to win, and it is through believing in Jesus Christ who came to die for us. So Jesus here, as he went to the cross, first in this scene warned about a spiritual battle for disciples as they face it. And he reminds them here that Christ has the victory in that battle. If they are with Christ, they are safe. But next, in verses 39 through 46, here in these next verses, there's another scene. And this number two, we could call a scene of prayer to learn from. A scene of prayer. 
Luke tells us here in this scene, uh, starting in verse 39, about Jesus and the disciples as they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. They've left the upper room now, and they come down to the Mount of Olives at the base of this mountain where there is a private garden that Jesus has gone to often. And in verse 41, we see that Jesus tells his disciples there to pray, and then he goes off, and he prays on his own to God. And as we kind of look in this moment here, it's, it's hard for us to really understand fully the agony and the pain that Jesus is feeling here as he's praying. He was going to go to the cross very soon, and he knew it well. And Jesus had that on his heart so heavily that he cried out to God. He knew there that he would take God's righteous, punishing wrath against sin on himself. Jesus says there in verse 42, as he prays to the Father, that God would remove this cup from me. This is again kind of us getting the curtain pulled back and we see behind the scenes of what's happening between God the Son and God the Father as they converse together. There's no sin whatsoever here. There is absolute perfection in Jesus and in God the Father. But Jesus is aware that he will bear the punishment of sin on himself. And that makes Jesus so sorrowful, so pained, that he cries out that God would keep that punishment from him. He knew that he was going to have to bear the pain of God's wrath on himself for sin. And Jesus did not want that. But it was also God's will, and that was God's mission in this world. And it's what Jesus, as he obeyed his father, perfectly actually did. The Bible says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. He had the cup of God's judgment poured out on him. He would have our sins laid on him so that we could be forgiven. There's a a song that, that says it this way. His robes were for mine, a wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered under God's wrath. Jesus would be treated as a sinner on the cross. He would be punished, although he was sinless, as a sinner. And that thought was so painful to him that he cries out to his father for strength in that moment. Well, Jesus, after this, in in that moment, in verses 45 and 46, he comes and he finds his disciples asleep. And so Jesus, again, tells them to get up and to pray that they would not enter into temptation. Here, Jesus has come out of temptation, having prayed to God, and he has come out victorious. But here are the disciples coming out of this temptation failing to pray. And I think here there's, this whole section is an example. It is an example for us. And I I don't know if you are a younger sibling, 
But if you are like me, you know what it's like to have an example. You know what it's like to have a good example. And you might know also what it's like to have a bad example in an older sibling. You've seen things that go well for them, and you've seen things that don't go well for them. Well, here was a perfect example for the disciples in Jesus as he was praying to God in temptation. And Jesus was, his prayer was answered. He was protected. He was strengthened by God as he prayed to him. And here's also the bad example of the disciples who did not pray, who failed to call out to God. There's a lesson for us in this scene. It's that Christians need to pray. They need their heavenly father and they need to depend on him in prayer. And Jesus was the perfect example of doing that in this world. To rely on God and to turn to him in our need. And the disciples here, they, they set the, the poor example. I wonder about you if you're a prayer. You know, that's one of the best ways to tell if there's any spiritual life in you at all. If you say, I'm a Christian, but you never pray, I wonder if you're really a Christian. But here is the encouragement if you are a Christian, pray. No, it's always an uphill battle to be in prayer. But Jesus calls us here. These verses are a reminder for us to be people who pray and to be like Jesus in that way. And I wonder how your life would be different as a junior higher going forward if you committed yourself to praying more and more. If you called out to God in temptation and if you looked to God day by day, leaned on him in the spiritual battle by praying. It's a simple lesson, but it's an important lesson. We need to pray. And there's one last important scene to see here. And this is number three, a scene of rejection in verses 47 through 62. This last scene is really kind of two scenes. It's two moments where two followers of Jesus reject him. And as we look at these verses kind of up, up really high, not in all the details, we see first here in 47 through 53, those verses, uh, Jesus being rejected by a fake disciple, Judas. And then in verses 54 through 62, Jesus was rejected by a true disciple, Peter. And I think these verses here of Judas are really one of the saddest stories in all of the Bible. Here was a disciple who was around Jesus, a follower of Jesus for three years. And here in this moment, he betrayed Jesus. He comes to Jesus, uh, showing the enemies of Jesus where he is in this dark night in the garden so that they could arrest Jesus and put him to death. Judas has turned on this Jesus that he has seen up close and personal. He's seen the power that Jesus has. He's seen the, the sinlessness of Jesus. He's seen the goodness and the kindness of Jesus. But at that same moment, he's rejected Jesus. 
his love and his loyalty to Jesus was never true or real. Inside, he, he hated Jesus, even if he acted like he loved Jesus. It was all a show. He was a hypocrite. And then starting in verse 54, we see Peter as he denies Jesus. Another one of the 12 who had followed Jesus. And just as Jesus has said earlier in those verses, Peter here actually denies Jesus, that he even knows or has anything to do with Jesus three times in a row. And then verse 60, a rooster crows, and Jesus, now arrested, turns, and through the crowd he looks at Peter. And Peter remembers the words of the Lord, how he had told him that before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Verse 62 says, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Jesus, as he went to the cross, was rejected. What a thought. Jesus, who loves this world so much that he came to die for this world, was rejected by sinners. He was rejected by those who knew him closely. And the story of Judas is the great tragedy of the book of Luke. It's one of the saddest moments in the Bible. That somebody who could pretend to be a follower of Jesus, who was so close to Jesus, never truly loved Jesus on the inside. He never repented. He never turned to Jesus. And the end for Judas was one of condemnation. And it's a warning. And it's it reminds me of like a siren that's just ringing out so loudly when we read this story. Don't reject Jesus. If you've seen him, if you know anything about him, if you know what he can do, if you've read what he has done, don't reject him. Repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 10, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Anyone who has rejected Christ, for that person there is no salvation in the end. There is judgment. That was the case of Judas. And it's the case of anyone who would reject Jesus. But there is a way the Bible shows us again and again to have eternal life, to be forgiven, to be rescued from God's judgment. There is a way to be rescued for anyone in this room who is a hypocrite, who's, who's pretended to be a follower of Jesus but isn't truly one. And it's only through turning to Jesus Christ, to looking to what he did on the cross, and to believing in him, and he will forgive you. That was not the case of Judas. But it was the case of Peter, the other disciple who rejected Jesus. Peter's dis uh, rejection of Jesus did not stay as a rejection. He, as he had failed Christ miserably, would return. He repented. He came back to Christ. And the rest of the story later on tells us that Peter would be restored by Jesus when he came to him. Christ received him. He forgave him. 
he restored him. And he continued to help and keep Peter all the way to the end of his life. I wonder if that's you, if you need to come to Jesus and you haven't. The example of Peter is that Jesus loves to restore weak people, people who have failed him. Jesus wants to sustain you and keep you and help you if you come to him. The difference between Judas and Peter is that Judas did not come to Christ. He rejected him to the end. But Peter, although he failed Christ miserably, did come to Christ. And he found in Christ forgiveness. Here were three scenes of Jesus going to the cross where Jesus would accomplish God's mission. He would save sinners. He would rescue sinners. In order to do that, he was going to die on the cross and take the place of sinners. I wonder if you are learning from these lessons this morning. There's so much for us to learn. I pray that you are somebody who does know Christ and believe in him. Let's pray. Christ, thank you for the fact that you accomplished God's mission to save sinners. Thank you that you came and suffered and died. That you took the punishment for everyone who believes in you upon yourself on the cross. That you bore the weight of their sins and the guilt of their sins and you finished that at the cross. I pray that all of these students would come to believe in you, Christ, that there would be none that would reject you. And I pray that for those who are believers in you and they feel their weakness and their failing, that they would continue to trust in you, to pray to you, and to look to you for strength in the spiritual battle. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us and that you love us and that you have prayed for us and you sustain us. Thank you for coming to this world and going to the cross. We pray this in your name. Amen.